this week and next, we're going to look at a single passage of Scripture. It's two verses. They tend to go so well together. One is so completely misunderstood, the other or misapplied. The other is one that we gloss over so often. But these, these two ideas, tightly meshed, have the ability to change the, direc- the direction, literally the trajectory of your life. It's very simple. It's at the root of who we are. And so this week and next, I want to talk with you for just a little bit about the, a path to the blessed life. When I say blessed, I want to be very, very, very careful here. I don't, I'm not talking about your bank account. Would you agree with me that a person can have a life that would be characterized as a rich, full life without having a rich, full bank account? Would you, can we agree with that up front? Amen? All right. When I speak with you about these issues, I want you to understand that whether you embrace them or you don't embrace them is going to have a lot to do with everything that happens between now and the end of your life. It's going to change how you see things. It's going to change what you're looking for. It's going to change your, your gut level response to things. And they're, they're really decisions that you can make and hold on to that are going to have a have a demonstrable effect in your life. It's pretty much that simple. Would you turn with me in your Bible to Luke chapter 6, and I'm going to read verses 36 and 37. Luke chapter 6, and I'll be reading verses 36 and 37. Let's stand together, if you don't mind. I realize those of you who don't, you, you, we've stood up too much for you, that's fine. You can stay seated, but uh, let's read the Word of God together. I'm sure, by the way, as you opened this up and you took a good look at those first two words, uh, you went, oh, I know this one. I got a feeling you don't. That's why we're looking at it this morning. Are you ready? Here we go. Verse 37. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give. And it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it'll be measured back to you. I love uh, the way it reads in the King James Version. This is one of those times when the, 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 the poetic lilt of the King James writers really stands out. It says, give and it shall be given unto you good measure, shaken down, pressed together, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured unto you again. And that, doesn't that have that, that poetic ring to it? It really does. Would you bow with me as we pray? Father, this morning, would you bless your word? God, forgive the preacher of his sins. And God, as we open this together, may the words that you would have spoken in this place come ringing through loud and clear. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Really boil this down into just two major points. We're going to take one point this week, one point next week. It's going to be pretty straightforward. Are you ready? Here it is. Live mercifully. 
Live mercifully. Would you agree with me that God's been merciful to us? That amazing love that we just sang about. It's just, been, it's just been poured out on us like crazy. And yet, we don't put this, this verse in that context of living mercifully. Instead, we put this in that context of verses that I'm going to pull out and slap somebody with whenever I hear them saying something I don't like about me. I'm going to tell them, oh, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says judge not. Can I just tell you that that is totally ripped from the context completely ripped from context by the way let me just say this the judgment spoken of in this particular passage of scripture is uh, is a particular kind of judgment how many of y'all do the grocery shopping at your house how many of you judge between one brand and another you do matter of fact you'll go by the counter and there's there'll be uh, fresh produce laying out there but there's apples and as you pick up an apple, there'll be one with a bad spot on it, and you're going you're gonna to judge. You'll pick it up, you see that apple, you say, I judge thee. And you put it back, you reach, and you get one without a bad spot on it. Do, do we not do that? Yeah. See, I want you to understand that there is, there is a, a sense in which judgment is simply discerning between things that are profitable and not profitable. In that regard, I think every one of us needs to be a good judge. Can I have an amen? We need to be a good judge, discerning between that which is profitable and that which is unprofitable. But what this is speaking of is in our relationship with each other. And as Jesus was teaching this particular passage, he just got through a whole excursus or an explanation of the idea of loving one's enemies and what that means to love one's enemies and why we should love our enemies. It is so easy to condemn people we don't like. Can I have an oh me? Don't say amen. It is so easy to condemn people we don't like. Is there anybody in your life that just rubs you like burlap underwear? Nah. They just set your teeth on edge. You just you, you think about them and 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 you get the little heebie-jeebies that run up all over. You don't know what I'm talking about. Well, having a feeling about someone or something is entirely different than voicing it. We have feelings all the time that are not appropriate to voice. Can I have an amen? Yeah, it's true. But the judge not he's speaking of here is speaking some kind of negative epithet or uh, an open or habitual criticism toward those who he's just laid out in the previous section as being enemies. And he goes on, he's very clear about what he says. In, in, uh, if you'll read in verse 36, he says, Therefore be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. And that's after following him saying, Love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you'll be the sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful and the evil. God is kind to the unthankful and the evil. If God is kind to the unthankful and the evil, then who are we to pass judgment on them? Who are we to speak ill of them? Are we getting there? Let me just say this. Open and habitual criticism. Having a negative attitude that is voiced on a regular basis are y'all listening? 
It is an ugly habit and really doesn't belong in the life of a believer. It is an ugly habit. We take it upon ourselves to hold in very low esteem that which God holds in high esteem. And then we have the audacity to voice our opinion as though it is based in some kind of incontrovertible fact. We criticize people on the basis of their appearance. Can I tell you that one of the very first times I can remember, I was just a little bitty fella, that I can remember a conversation criticizing heavily was over what someone wore to church. It absolutely was. I was just a little bitty guy, and I remember ladies in my family chewing someone up and spitting them out because they didn't think what they wore to church was appropriate. Now, i got a question for you. How much good did that conversation accomplish? Were they talking to her? Nope. Talking to themselves. Talking amongst themselves. Did they have a good time with it? Oh, obviously. Obviously. By the way, can I just simply say that shared criticism is probably one of the fastest growing sports in our world today? Because we get with people who think like us, and all we can do is chew up and spit out people who disagree or who do differently than we think is right. Do you have any idea how many relationships, how many friendships have been broken because of criticism that was nothing more than somebody's rotten opinion spewed out loud and thrown out like it was, like it was just fact? Unmet expectation. Where do these unmet expectations come from? I have no clue. But I think I can give you a pretty good example. My wife and I have a running joke. And the reason is because I will open the door for her. Now, I've still got a truck from the Stone Ages. I don't have a on mine, okay? Y'all know what that is, right? I don't have one of those. So I have to do something, you know, archaic like take that piece of metal and stick it in the slot in the door on the passenger side twist it make the little thing pop up and then I open the door for my sweetie to get in so I open the door and leave it open because oh this time of year have y'all noticed how when one door is open it's still so hot in the truck I'll leave the door open and then I make my way to my side and if when I get there I haven't heard clunk See, it's got the buttons on the inside that you can unlock with. Then we have this little running joke about you're not, you're not somebody to marry. If my door's not open when I get there, <laughs> I got to throw you back. You know why? Because a stupid movie once said one guy was giving another guy advice, and he said, oh, here's the big test. This is how you'll know she's a keeper. What? If she unlocks your door for you while you're walking around to the other side of the car. How many absolutely stupid things... Have we embraced and, and spit like it's justifiable criticism over something? Just absolutely ridiculous. We criticize the way people dress. We criticize the way people talk. We criticize the way people rear their children. We criticize the way people drive. We criticize everything. You know why? 
I need you all to understand, seldom have I ever preached a message that, that has struck me at the core of who I am any more than this one. Are you ready? Because criticism is ugly and is not complimentary to the life of a believer. Shall I say it again? Because criticism is ugly and it is not complimentary to the life of a believer. By the way, do you realize that a negative attitude that constantly criticizes becomes part of your testimony? It's the unspoken testimony, the one you don't advertise, but the one that everyone else sees. Do y'all know any negative people? You just know if you get around them, they're not going to have a good word to say about anybody. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Do you think that they would absolutely draw up in a knot and fall on the floor if they thought that when you thought of them, you thought twice about going around them because you knew they'd have nothing to say but negative? Do you think that they wouldn't just be horrified by that? Here's the problem with it. You listening? We don't see it in ourselves. We see it in others. So in order to be on the path, this is what we've got to do. You listening? We have to make a decision not to judge. We've got to make a decision that any negative anything that may cross my mind is not obligated to come out of my mouth. Can I have an amen? Amen. It's pretty much that simple. It's tough. It's hard. Especially if, if the negativity and the criticism has become such a feature and such a, such a habit. By the way, let me, let me just say this. Um, sometimes... Our judgments are simply a means of pointing out the deficiencies in someone else. And in the course of pointing out the deficiencies, we get a chance to stick our proverbial thumbs in our suspenders and we say, I'm not like that. You know, I, the scripture has a very clear solution to that. Are you listening? Confess your faults one to another. Not confess others' faults one to another. Confess your faults one to another. There's a humility aspect there. There's the, there's the idea that I know I'm not perfect. I know I don't have it all together. And I, am, I need to confess my faults to my brothers and sisters and they them confess their faults to me. Not that I got something to, to wag in their face, but that we have something to pray over and to support one another through. Some of the richest relationships you'll ever have in your life are people whose faults you know, and they know your faults, and they love you in spite of it, and they support you in spite of it. So live mercifully. Judge not. Let me say this about judging. This is, these are just some last thoughts that came as we were, we were singing. We who are quick to judge... What is the criteria we use to determine whether someone else is less than us or their behavior is reprehensible more than ours? What is the criteria we use? Well, I think sometimes the criteria is purely and simply my own opinion. Our own opinion. It's quiet in here this morning. Y'all realize that, right? Yeah, because I may have been raised to think a certain thing about a certain thing. You may have been raised... And it wasn't even on the radar screen. But when you do something that crosses what I, what I was raised to be a big issue, all of a sudden I'm passing judgment on you, and you don't even realize that it was anything that was a big deal at my house. How many of y'all have the code words 
that you reared your kids with, and they're the ones they're not supposed to say. We have a family member who just absolutely goes bonkers over certain words. In my my family of origin, (gasps) B-U-T-T. Awful. Wash your mouth out with soap. Is it necessarily a bad word? Yes or no? No, it's not. It was declared to be because it was offensive to someone, and so they set a rule up. And I can remember when I was a kid having other kids come play at my house, and they used that word profusely. And you could see the steam boiling out of my mother's ear. Why? Because we're not supposed to use that word. Well, that's great, but your laws don't apply across the board, do they? See, here's the deal. In order for judgment to be righteous, it has to have a law behind it. That's how come God is in the position to absolutely judge everything rightly. Because his laws are known. We know when we cross the line of the law of God, yes or no? We know where that is. Is that based upon God's opinion? No, it's based upon his word. He has been very clear where those lines are. So when we approach those lines, we're even aware that I'm about to cross over. Now, whether we care or not is another thing altogether. But we're well aware where the lines are. So when God judges based upon our performance, it's not about his opinion. It's about his stated law. When we judge, we didn't make no law. Can I have an amen? We have our opinions, but we didn't make no law. Are you all listening? Because here comes the big one. Here's the sledgehammer. You ready? When you unjustly judge based upon your opinion, you just opened the door. For judgment to rightly be levied at you. When you have judged based upon your opinion, you just open the door for judgment to be rightly levied at you. See, our problem is we're all thinking from the position of self. And so much of our evaluation of the world we live in is based upon what I think of other people and other things, other places, other practices. And if I'm comfortable with what I've got, but I'm not comfortable with what you've got, then my chances are, the chances are pretty good. I'm going to say, you're wrong and I'm right. And it's really nothing more than a contest of opinions at this point. We just really need to really, really, really be careful That we're not trying to point things out to feel better or to somehow elevate our opinion over the opinions of others when there is no hard and fast law. There's no no objective righteous standard. He says, judge not. And then the latter part of that says, and you shall not be judged. Um. I can tell you that when we practice a judging attitude, we really are giving something out there that others can mimic. 
and unfortunately most of the others that are mimicking are little people in our life. We teach by our attitudes as much as we teach by our actions and our words. Avoidance of this practice, by the way, is obedience to God. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. When we allow God to be the judge and us to be the children, that is the way things ought to be. When we put ourselves in the position of becoming the judge, we have assumed a role that was never ours to assume. We have moved God out of the way because my thoughts about this issue are much more important than God's thoughts about this issue. And by the way, let me say this. There's more strife and friction within families and even Baptist churches over the issue of thinking my way is right, your way is wrong without anything more than an opinion behind it than in just about anything else I can think of. Jesus taught that mercy extended to you should result in mercy being extended by you. There's a particular passage in Matthew 18 where he's talking about a man who owed 10,000 talents. The man he owed it to, realizing that he would never be able to be paid back and that the guy was, the guy was frantic because the bill was coming due, he was afraid that the man would take him and throw him in prison because he couldn't pay the debt. Well, the man came to him and humbly just confessed, I can't pay the debt, blah, blah, blah. And the guy says, okay, fine, look, I forgive it. What? I forgive the debt. And the guy got up and left. Now, how many of you all, right after having your debt forgiven, will be going right down to the car lot to take out a note on a brand new car? No, I'm, I'm kidding. Isn't that kind of how our world thinks, though? You free up a little money, you got money to go into debt with again. Anyway, long and short, here's the, here's the deal. Um, he left there and went and found somebody who owed him a small amount and threw the guy in prison. Now, he who was just forgiven a lot was completely unmerciful to a guy who owed just a little. And when the guy who had forgiven much found out about it, what do you think he did? He went back and he, he lowered the boom. You know why? In the story, it's pretty clear that God extends mercy to you and he expects you to extend mercy to others. We are nothing to be nothing more than a conduit for the mercy of God. You are not in a position to be anything less than merciful. To, to deny mercy, extending mercy, is to put yourself in a position to turn off the mercy that is being extended toward you. Let me just say this now. When we're talking about judgment, I want to put this in the context of the family of God. Our sin, our sin has been forgiven. Not because of anything special in you, but because you have asked the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive you and to be your Lord and your Savior. You have submitted to Jesus. And that's why we sing the song, David, sometimes at invitation time we'll sing, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Because Jesus did pay it all. And when Jesus was nailed to the cross, all of my sin, past, present, and future, 
were judged at that place at that time once and forevermore. For a believer, there is no more judgment as to heaven or hell. That took place on Calvary. We have accepted what Jesus Christ has done for us. Then heaven is our home. That's why we can make statements like, I believe that once I'm saved, I'm always saved. That's why we can make those statements. Now, the quibble comes in what does the life of the genuine life of a believer really reflect? Because way too often, those folks who want to say I'm saved but live like they're not. You tracking? So here's the point. Within the family of God, we need to be careful judging one another because we've already been judged. And if we who have already been judged are running around judging each other, how do you think Abba feels about that? One time at a small group at my home when we used to have the, the uh, college and career, I had a young lady sitting at the table, became very upset. She said, Brother Mastin, I'm confused. I need your help with something. I said, okay, what's that? She said, you're telling us all the time that our sin has already been judged in Jesus, and yet there's a judgment at the end of the book. She said, we're going we're gonna to be judged. I said, in what way? And what she had done was confused two different things, two different events. I want you to take a look at the, at the picture behind me. The picture behind me was taken in the theater in Caesarea. Now here's why this is important. Because in the book of Acts, chapter 25, the latter part of the chapter, Agrippa has come to Festus, and they're talking, and in the course of their conversation, Festus begins telling Agrippa about this guy that Felix has kind of left languishing in incarceration, and talking about his conversion to the Lord Jesus Christ. Agrippa is, is just absolutely blown away by this. He says, I want to hear this guy. And so if you read the book, you know what they did? They called a public gathering. They, it was a big, hairy deal. Everybody came in, and they filled the theater. And on the floor of the theater, Paul was marched in. Are y'all with me? And by the way, that's this theater. You're seeing it. You're seeing very similar setting to what Paul saw. Go to the next frame because this is important. Do you all see that section right there in the middle, right at the top of those steps? <clears throat> Who do you think sat there? That's where Festus and Agrippa and other members of the distinguished group sat. They're right smack in the middle. They're at ideal height to be able to see whatever's going to go on. Now, here's the fun thing about this theater. If you're standing there, I can speak in this tone and be heard in the top row. It's stone. It just reflects sound like you'd not believe. And so, having seen that, now I want, you to, I want you to, in your mind's eye, imagine Paul being brought in from this side. He's being marched in, and he's standing there, and he begins to give his defense to Agrippa. Y'all, you, know, you with me? All right? And then later on in the book of Romans, there is a reference to something that has been translated the judgment seat of Christ. Y'all remember hearing that phrase? 
what you're looking at is actually what that Greek word was describing. That is called the bema, B-E-M-A, the bema. It is the place where the people in authority and the honored guests were seated. We will appear before Jesus, before a bema, not for a not for a determination of heaven nor hell, but believers, we will appear before a judgment seat of Christ for the evaluation of the works done in the flesh. Time and time again, we've preached to you the, those, those parables that lay out in crystal clear terms that though there are things left for servants to take care of, there's a day when the master is coming back for accounting. When the master comes back for accounting, that is not a group activity. You are evaluated yourself. We will appear before Jesus in a setting where Jesus is hearing us. Then our works will be evaluated. That's for believers. Now there's another thing mentioned in all of Scripture. It comes to pass over in the book of Revelation chapter 20. I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to lay it out for you. Are you ready? When you read that one, that is called the great white throne. The judgment of the great white throne. And you don't find any survivors. Those are all people who have rejected God, rejected Jesus. They are, they are unregenerate, unrepentant sinners. And if you'll finish reading that passage, you'll find out that their end doesn't come very well. Believers, Jesus was condemned for us. How in the world do we think we have the right to condemn each other? How in the world do we have the right to judge one another or anyone else for that matter? Your condemnation and mine was placed upon a Savior named Jesus Christ who was brutalized, ripped to shreds, marched to the streets carrying the crossbar of his own method of crucifixion, Lie, uh, laid down and nails driven through hands and feet, raised up for us, bleeding out, fluid building up around his heart, struggling to breathe, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then at last he said, it is finished. And he breathed his last. He gave up the ghost. And at that point in time, your sin and my sin, placed upon a sinless Savior, was judged. Done. If we're going to live the benefit of a merciful life, We've got to leave judgment and condemnation in the hands of he who is equipped to rightly handle it. Judgment and condemnation are not anything that a believer needs to be handling. That's for my God to take care of. It's really funny. We'll teach our children that when you see a needle on a playground, oh, don't touch that. You don't have any business handling that. 
We'll say, if you find a firearm just laid out somewhere, don't touch it. Get an adult. Get someone else who, is, who can handle it safely. Can I just say this? When it comes to judgment and condemnation in the life of a believer, there's not an adult anywhere, repentant, regenerate, or not, who's capable of accurately handling judgment and condemnation. So just leave it alone. And in the process, let mercy take up residence in your heart. Let kindness begin to guide your words. Let acts of generosity and being a good Samaritan begin to replace some of those, th- those negative parts that have been such a part of your testimony for so long. You've got an opportunity to do things entirely different than you ever have before. Entirely different than you ever have before. And it will absolutely change everything. You just simply are not in a position to do anything other than to let God handle it. And God always honors obedience, and he always addresses disobedience. Lastly, I'd say this. The final reason that I can think of that condemnation has no business in the life of a believer is this. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, Scripture says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. If there's no condemnation, then we don't have any business passing it out either. Amen? Can I have an amen? Well, I'm going to ask you a very blunt question this morning, and I'm done. Has criticism and judgment darkened your heart? The light of Jesus was designed to fill us The Spirit of God was designed to indwell us and to overflow and to spill out, to splash living water instead of battery acid. This morning, as you you contemplate that question, I'm just going to ask you to bow your head. And as they come and get a song ready, we're going to pray. Father, this morning, we understand that Very few of us ever did it on purpose. But over time, negativity, criticism, judgment, condemnation, all of those things became such readily easy to use tools in our bag. And God, we got good at it. And we've used it over and over and over and over and over. Even when we use it, we're, we're looking for people who will agree with us to affirm that we're right. God, I pray this morning that you'd help us understand that our hearts have been darkened. That's not what you have for us. Father, I pray this morning that we would repent where necessary. Father, I pray that we would would make right things that are wrong. God, it is so easy to become overcome with evil. And this morning, I suspect... In this place, God, having already witnessed tears, having already seen faces contorted by the inward struggle, God, I know there are some folks who need to be set free of this burden. God, as we bring it, if we lay it on this altar, God, as you begin to do a work in our heart to help the light of Jesus shine rather than the darkness of judgment and condemnation. I pray that men and women would be set free. 
If there be any boys and girls in this room to whom you're speaking, that they would be set free. But God, may we turn loose of the, the, the deadly influence of condemnation, of judgment. God, it's yours. You alone are worthy to handle it, are capable of rightly executing it. God, may we take our stinking hands off and leave it to you. Father, would you bless as men and women, boys and girls, make that conscious step to say, no more, never again, I'll lay it down. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I just ask you, everybody, to keep your head bowed. Brother David's going to start singing. I don't want anybody looking around. God has spoken to your heart this morning. I want you to get up and come and kneel on this altar and make things right between you and God. I want you to relinquish all of those things that have been holding you in the dark. As As Brother David begins to sing, this time is yours. Please make good use of it.